Hey, everybody, this is Pastor Rusty Gray. I hope you're doing well. I'm so grateful that you've joined me online. While you're joining me online, we're having our first live service in church, 9 o'clock this morning. We'll have our second one at 1045. Then Thursday, we'll be back at 7. And I want you to know we're back in church. But if you can't be in church, if you don't feel like you should come back to church, uh, if you've just got some things going on, uh, we're going to be recording now every Thursday night, and it'll be online at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning. So you can still join us and still be a part of what we're doing. Last week, Kurt and I talked about John chapter 3. If you watched it, it's where Jesus talks to Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee, and he tells uh, Nicodemus that he has to be born again. And, of course, Nicodemus doesn't understand what he's talking about. And he says, what do you mean be born again? Do you mean that as a man I'm supposed to go back into my mother's womb, which is impossible? And then Jesus says, no, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. So they have this discussion about being born again. And Nicodemus needed to be born again. You and I need to be born again. And then he makes a statement. He quotes out of the Old Testament. And let me read to you what it says, John 3, 14. Here's what Jesus said to Nicodemus. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now, I want to take some time to you this morning with you. I want to go back to that story, and I'm going to show you some amazing things in and around that story and why Jesus used that. Jesus referred to the Old Testament a lot. Now, I don't have an exact number, but he did it often. There are over 300 references in the New Testament to the Old Testament. The disciples did it. Jesus did it. Now, now why does that matter? Well, let me just read some things to you that Jesus talked about. Jesus talked about the creation in Genesis. He talked about Adam and Eve. He talked about Noah's Ark. He talked about Lot's wife turning into a pillar of salt. He talked about Abraham, Daniel, Elijah, Jonah, and Daniel. Now, why does that matter? Well, here's what happens. Jesus believed in the Old Testament. He believed the stories of the Old Testament. It wouldn't be hard for you and I to find somebody that would say, oh, Lot's wife didn't really turn into a pillar of salt. That story didn't really happen. Or the earth really wasn't flooded and Noah and his family were in a boat. Hey, did you know that that story's in all major religions? But here's the thing. Jesus believed in those stories. He believed they were true and he referenced them. Here's what he didn't do. He didn't say, well, hey, you know, that story about Noah, that's just an allegory or that's a myth. No, he talked about those stories and he talked about them as if they were true because they were true. And here's what he did. He believed and confirmed the validity of the Bible. He confirmed that the Old Testament was true. He confirmed that the Old Testament was true and the New Testament. So what does that mean for us? Well, Jesus believed the Bible. And if he believed the Bible, then you and I can believe the Bible. And those references to the Old Testament, just like he did with Nicodemus, help us to have faith and to believe that. Now, I want to go with you to Numbers 21, and I'm going to start reading with you in verse 4. And we're going to go back and talk about where Jesus said that Moses took a snake, a brass snake he made, and he put it on a pole, <clears throat> excuse me, and he lifted it up. So let me read to you the story. This is Numbers 21, 4 through 9. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. 
and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. Let me stop right there. All right, the very first thing it says was, is the people were discouraged. In King James, it says they were discouraged because of the way. Listen, you and I can be susceptible to the very same thing. Listen, God was directing them and God was providing for them and they were discouraged. And they were discouraged because they did not like God's direction. You and I can struggle with the very same thing. Have you ever been discouraged in your life because you thought God wasn't moving or God wasn't doing what you wanted him to do or he wasn't doing it in a timely fashion like you thought that he should? Well, they were discouraged. And I know that you and I have been discouraged. Let me keep reading this and what they do. It says they spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food, no water, and our souls loathe this worthless bread. Well, now they've gone to lying. Okay, first off, they're complaining. Now they're lying. They say there's no food and there's no water. Well, that was a lie because they were provided with food and they were provided with water. Listen, they were eating manna from heaven. Now, now stop for a minute and just think about that. What was it like to eat bread that was baked in the ovens of heaven? What was it like to eat that bread? All right, but it says they complained about it, and they said that they loathed it. They hated it. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. They bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Now, here's what's going on. They're complaining to God, and they're complaining to Moses, and they're tired of God's direction, and they're tired of God's provision, and it says they were discouraged, and they hated God's provision. So what happens? Well, God releases poisonous snakes into the camp, and those snakes begin to bite the people because of the judgment of God, and they die. Now, I, come on. I cannot imagine that. All right, I would much rather the earth swallow me up, the earth open up, and I'd be swallowed into a lake of lava than to throw my bed covers back and there's a poisonous snake or to get up to put my shoes on and there's a snake in my shoe. It says that they were in the camp and they were biting people. I, I mean, come on, I can't imagine that. Now, let me continue to read. It says, then the people came to Moses and they said, we've sinned for we've spoken against the Lord and against you. <clears throat> Pray to the Lord that he takes away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and it shall be that everyone who's bitten, when they look at it, they'll live. So Moses made a bronze serpent. He put it on a pole, and if the serpent had bitten anyone, when they looked at the serpent, they lived. Now, they do something good, all right? They repent. The first thing they do is they complain. And they complain to Moses about God's provision, and they complain about God's direction. So God sends judgment on them and send poisonous snakes into the camp. But they do something powerful. They go to Moses, and they repent. And they say, hey, we're sorry. And so Moses goes to God, and God gives him some instructions. He says, get a wooden pole. Take some bronze or some brass and form a snake and then put it on this pole and then lift the pole in the air. Then tell the people who've been bitten, when you look at the snake, you won't live, excuse me, you won't die, you'll live and you'll be healed. And that's exactly what they did. Can I just say something to you? Listen, it's never wrong to repent. 
All right, if you got stuff going on in your life, you got junk going on in your life, and you know it, listen, it's never wrong to go to God and to clean your heart. It's never wrong to go and say, God, man, I'm sorry I did this, or I'm sorry I said that. Uh, Father God, forgive me. It's always healthy. It's always good to repent, and that's exactly what they did. Now, I'm going to go back to John chapter 3, verse 14, and let me read to you. Jesus quotes this story, and he said, As Moses lifted the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, what does this have to do with us? Well, here's what has to do with us. All right, that serpent was a type of Jesus Christ. And he told Nicodemus, just as the serpent was lifted up, I'm going to be lifted up on a cross. Now, here's how it applies to you and I. You see, you and I have been bitten by a snake, and that snake is called sin. Okay, the Bible says that there's none righteous, none, not one, that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. I've been bitten by the sin snake. You've been bitten by sin. And because of it, we died, and we're separated from God. And if you die in your sin, you'll be separated from God for all of eternity. But you see, Jesus was nailed to a cross 2,000 years ago, and that cross was lifted up and put in a hole. And when you look to the cross, when you look to Jesus, and you invite him into your life, just like they didn't die, you won't die. Just like they looked at the snake, it says that you look at Jesus. Now, here's what's interesting. Jesus became sin. 2 Corinthians says that Jesus didn't take your sin. He became sin. Isaiah 52 says that his body was marred by sin and that he didn't even look like a man. So what am I saying? I'm saying that Jesus referenced the Old Testament and he was talking about himself and I want you to look to Jesus. Now, let's go to 2 Kings chapter 18 and I want to continue talking about the story. Now, We're moving ahead 750 years, all right? Moses makes the snake, lifts it on a pole, and they're healed. All right, from that moment to now, where I'm going to read to you in 2 Kings, is 750 years. Okay, keep that in mind. Listen to what it says. It came to pass in the third year of Hosea, the king of Eli, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. Now, Hezekiah becomes king, and the Bible says he's a good king. He's a righteous king. In fact, it says that there was no king better than him. Let me keep reading. He was 25 years old. I think that's interesting. He becomes king of Israel at 25, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abai, the daughter of Zechariah, who was a prophet. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. Now, He's not David's son, all right, but he's of the house of David. What does that mean? Well, that his bloodline goes back to David. He's 25 years old. He's a good man. He's a young man, but he's a good king. Listen to what he does. It says he removed the high places and broke the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images and broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until that day, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nehushtan. Now, there's a lot in that I want to talk to you about. First is this. Hezekiah was a reformer. 
What does that mean? Well, he hated sin and he hated idol worship. And the Bible says that he was a good king. And he refused to worship his father's false gods. Now, the other kings of Israel before him wanted to tear down the altars, but they were afraid to. But Hezekiah, as a 25-year-old young man, as a 25-year-old king, goes into the temples, the temples of the false gods, and he pulls down the altars, <coughs> excuse me, and he pulls down the false gods. Excuse me. <coughs> and he burns them. Now, that reminds me of another guy named Gideon in the Old Testament. You remember that story? Okay, Gideon, God called him a mighty man of valor, and they were under the control, the children of Israel were under the control of the Midianites, and Gideon was another young man that refused to worship the idols of his father. And if you know anything about that story, he pulled down the altar of Baal, tore it down. He cut down the totem poles that were in his father's, the front of his house, his false gods. He took those totem poles. He built a fire. He went to the cattle pens. He got his dad's best bull, which was the future of the herd. He killed that bull. He butchered it, and he burned it as a sacrifice to the living God. He was just like Hezekiah. He hated his father's false gods, and he refused to worship them. Now, when the morning came in Gideon's situation, it says they came outside. You know what they said? They said, we're going to kill you. Now, they didn't kill him, but they told him they were going to. It was the very same way with Hezekiah. What Hezekiah did was risky. Now, let's go back to the last of the story and listen to what it says. This is going to, this blows my mind. It says that he, <clears throat> he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. Now, what? Now, don't miss this. Do you remember Moses makes the serpent, puts it on a pole, lifts it up in the camp, they look at it and they're healed. They kept that serpent, that bronze serpent, they kept it for 750 years. They built an altar for it. They built a house for it. And they put it in that altar and they burned incense to it and they worshiped it. And Hezekiah went into that temple, took it out of that temple, and smashed it into pieces. I mean, come on. I just, can you imagine what they thought when he did that? First off, it's an antiquity. What does that mean? Well, it was a priceless piece of art. It was 750 years old. Moses himself had held it. <clears throat> and he took it out of the temple. He broke it. He smashed it. And he told them, we're not going to worship it. Now, listen, God never told them to worship it. God used it one time. They lifted it up. They looked at it, and they were healed. But then they kept it, and I guess somehow they thought maybe that that serpent had power in it, and they continued to worship, and that was never God's plan. Have you ever wondered before, how come we don't have the cross that Jesus died on? Why didn't they save it? Why didn't they keep it through the years? You know, why isn't it somewhere in a temple? Well, I can tell you exactly why. Because we do just what they did. We'd worship it. There's nothing left of any of that because God knew what we would do with it. He knew that we'd make a temple for it and we'd worship it. That's exactly what they did. God never intended for them to do that. Hezekiah destroyed it. And here's what's crazy. They kept it 
they named it, they called it Nehushtan. Now, what does that mean? The word Nehushtan in their original language meant mighty snake or bronze serpent. They basically started a snake cult is what they did. I think that's so crazy. And they worshiped that serpent until Hezekiah smashed it. Now, I think that story is fascinating, but I've got four simple things I want you to think about as I wrap this up. Let me, can I just speak into your life? We pass on our idols to the next generation. Listen to me. The things you lift above God in your life, the things you put more important than God in your life are idols. Okay, one of the things the Bible calls them is iniquities. And if you've got idols in your life, you pass them on to your children. You pass them on to your grandchildren. What have you got to do? Well, you got to do two things. You got to do the same thing Hezekiah did. You got to do the same thing Gideon did. You got to tear them down and you got to repent. See, if you've got something in your life that you've put above God, you've got to tear that idol down and then you repent. You tell God, God, I'm sorry. Jesus, I want you on the throne of my heart. Jesus, I want you to be boss of my life, not anything else. Here's the third thing. Your family can lose their faith in God in one generation. Listen, if you're not careful, you pass your idols on to your children. The things you lift up, you pass on to your kids. And then your, your faith in God can be lost in one generation. Just because you had an encounter with God, just because you had a Bethel experience, just because you love God and go to church, if you're not wise, if you're not faithful, you cannot pass that on to your children. And then your faith, your relationship with God can literally be lost in one generation then your children cannot be in church. Your grandchildren cannot be in church. So I just wanting, I'm not saying this to condemn you. I'm not saying this to criticize you. I'm just saying, number one, if this is going on, pray for your kids. Pray for your grandkids. <clears throat> but make sure you've got Jesus Christ first in your life. Then the last thing is to do what? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Now, the children of Israel repented. Hezekiah repented. Gideon repented. You've got to do, you and I've got to do the very same thing. Anything in our life that we've put ahead of God, we've got to get rid of it. Our priorities have to be Jesus, number one. Jesus, you're Lord of my life. Lord means boss. Jesus, you're my Lord. You're my boss. You're my number one priority. Then what does this say in Deuteronomy? Well, you talk about the things of God. Deuteronomy says, do it when you lie down. Do it when you get up, do it at the breakfast table, do it at the dinner table. What does that look like? Well, when you sit down to eat with your family, you talk about how God's blessed you, God's taken care of you, and God is good. You pass your faith to your children and to your grandchildren, and then you keep your eyes on Jesus. What Moses tell the children of Israel? Look at the snake and you'll be healed. Listen, I'm telling you, look at Jesus and you'll be healed, you'll be saved, you'll be delivered, and you can pass your faith on to the next generation. All right, let me pray for you. Father God, I want to thank you as we've looked into your word today. Father, I want to pray for those watching. Strengthen them, encourage them. Lord, cause us to keep our eyes on you. Cause us to get anything out of our life that we've put ahead of you. 
Father God, we repent. We repent of anything that we've put ahead of you. And Jesus, we lift you up in our lives. We make you first place in our lives. Father God, I continue to pray, Lord, as we start church, that your grace and protection is over us. Give our government authorities, our president, our governor. Father God, give them wisdom. Father, protect them and cover them as we continue to fight this fight, as we get our nation back open, as we get our economy open, that, Father God, your hand is on what we're doing. Father God, I'm thankful for all you're doing. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. Listen, I'm excited. We're in church. Right now as you're watching this, we're having our 9 o'clock service. We'll be at 1045. This Thursday, we start at 7. I can't wait to see you in church. And God is good and faithful. Amen. We love you. Talk to you later. Bye.